employ you to think about why you do what you do. That which is important in our life to do, there has to be a why behind it. There has to be something that motivates us to move forward in accomplishing a task and committing to a project and committing to um, some, something that is worthy of your time. If there is no certain why, at minimum, we're going to do a shoddy job at it. And most likely, we're not going to complete that which we have committed to. So having a solid why does some thir- certain things. And I want to challenge you this morning, uh, not in, hey, uh, necessarily increase your faith where perhaps it's needful for all of us to increase our faith or to motivate you to give to missions because uh, the past 10 years you have shown, in, at least in our isolated uh, condition, that you are committed to give to missions. But that I want to challenge you to understand why you do what you do so that we can do what we do for the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. That your uh, desire would be very evident within your heart because you have a complete why. That there would be fire to your feet and that you would have this uh, a burning within your belly to accomplish that what God has you to do. Uh, namely, this morning, the, the, the commission that Christ has left for us to complete. The Great Commission, some would call it. Why is it that we do what we do concerning the Great Commission. Now, I'm not uh, uh, preaching on uh, have a why and understand a complete why I should do, uh, for example, uh, let's see, uh, the cleaning of the car. Why should, Lord, give me a clear understanding of why I should go out and wash that car. Or, Lord, give me a clear understanding why I should go ahead and take the trash out today, as my wife would ask. No, those are just really elementary and simple things. We want to have a happy home, right? So men, clean the car and take the trash out. But as far as something concerning finances, that gets a little more sticky. That gets a little more intricate, does it not? When they're dealing with, when, when, when God is dealing with uh, those things of our finances and such. And so to gain a clear why is going to propel us uh, further on down the road and, and, and cause us to complete with excellence, that which he has called us to do. Uh, So what is it that he's called us to do in the Great Commission? And if you give me some latitude this morning, I'd like to explain uh, the Great Commission using Scripture. After all, being Baptists, we we do uh, uh, allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, and we believe wholeheartedly in that. And I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to set this down here just for time, or for space. If, you, if you'd allow me to break it up in several parts, this great commission, go ye therefore. But first, Jesus says, all power is given unto me, if we might use the Matthew version of the great commission. He says, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Uh, go ye therefore and uh, uh, into the world. And let, let, me, let me get to it so that I can read it properly to you. Matthew chapter 28 and verse uh, 18 says, And Jesus came and he spake and he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy uh, Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. And many of us could quote that. But if you'd give me, like I asked, a, a little bit of latitude to explain it with other portions of Scripture. For example, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, the Bible says, let your conversation 
be as it becometh, or live worthy of the gospel. Be as it becometh of the gospel, that we might uh, stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, right? This great, great commission was given to us uh, individually and corporately as a local church to reach the world with the gospel. I think we would all agree with that. Give me a head nod. Even at home, give me a head nod. I think we would agree with that. That it's something that we collectively do. Individually we make uh, a commitment to and we carry out that commitment. Why this morning? Because we understand why we're doing it. Perhaps it's for you this morning that because he's ordered us to do it and he's worthy of our obedience. Perhaps that's it. Or may you need, maybe you need a little bit more. And We'll look at the life of Nehemiah quickly and hopefully uh, through this uh, event that Nehemiah went through in rebuilding the wall uh, there in Jerusalem that we might uh, be able to add to the why you do what you do concerning the Great Commission. And so we see here that, that we would live worthy of the gospel, that we might stand fast in, in one spirit, that, our, that we uh, have one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And this is an interesting dynamic in the unity that he calls us to maintain, the unity that he calls us to have. I would even say that this is a powerful unity. Even go a step further and say that this is a supernatural thing that we would be unified, all of us, uh, in this, uh, for the sake of reaching the lost with, for, for Christ and preaching the gospel around the world, that we would be unified. I say it's a supernatural thing because, ma'am, your personality is probably different than my personality. And you probably don't really agree with everything of the second row over here. You might have some disagreements. And you know what? You might have different likes and dislikes and temperaments. And there's all kinds of a variety going on uh, within the auditorium uh, this morning. But let me tell you, when Christ says, all power is given to me both in heaven and earth, he says, the church, I can unify you. I can bring you together, even with all of your differences and opinions and desires and outlooks and, and, and forecasts in the future. I can bring you together to complete this great commission. Do you believe that? That Jesus says, all power is given unto me, and he can unify. Unity is a wonderful thing as we look at it. It's not an easy thing. It doesn't just happen. It's not an accidental thing. I can promise you that. Psalm chapter 133 is a great example of God's thinking concerning uh, unity. If I might look there. Uh, quickly, Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Do you know that what we come across isn't always good and pleasant? It could be one or the other most of the time, the majority of the time, but to have something good and pleasant at the same time, that's tough. An In-N-Out burger, an In-N-Out burger is pleasant. Oh, that's pleasant. It might not be all that good for us, but it's pleasant. Now, now, broccoli, broccoli is good for us, but it might not be all that pleasant. Do you see where he's saying when these two things come together, oh, it's both good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. Do you see the intensity that he puts upon the unity of the brethren? He said it's like the precious ointment that upon the head that ran down on the beard of Aaron even went down to the skirts of his garment. In verse 3 it says, it's like the dew of Hermon as, it, as the dew that descendeth upon the mountains of Zion. There the Lord commanded the blessing, even life furthermore. Well, it's like the dew of Hermon. Let me tell you something that you've never done. 
you've never been at home and ran over to the window and said, look, dear, look, kids, look, mom, look, dad, it's doing outside. <laughs> you know, we say it's raining outside, but you never say, look, it's doing outside. Why? Why do you not do that? Well, what does do do? It forms. It doesn't just happen. Do forms. There has to be a specific atmospheric condition that comes into place when a surface of some element on the ground drops to below the dew point, that, that point at which the atmosphere can no longer hold its water and it forms droplets and it forms dew because of a specific, uh, specific elements coming together to create dew. And it forms. It happens. There has to be some things that come together first, such as the power of God and, and Jesus Christ in the church to cause unity. Do you see it? This is how both good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it's like the dew that forms upon Herman, uh, Mount Hermon. He says, now, the second part is being influenced by the power and the authority of, of Jesus Christ and the claims that we, should, uh, uh, that we should walk towards the lost, instructed, of course, through the local church, scripturally, uh, how that we might heal the brokenhearted, that we might give sight to the blind. This is us taking the scripture in all seriousness to the great commission across the street, and yes, even around the world, that we might take that which we have in our hands and see the broken hearts healed, see sight given uh, to the blind, and see enemies of God turned into friends of God. And that would be reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and even around the world as you've been doing uh, for years. And when they understand, those new converts, that the first step of obedience is baptism, and they come to us as we've led them to Christ, and they say, as the eunuch would say uh, there to Philip, and he would say, what doth hinder me to be baptized? We would say, absolutely nothing. And we would baptize them there here in Casa Grande, in Valencia, Spain, and yes, all around the world because we take serious the Great Commission. But let's continue to focus on why is it that we're doing what we're doing. Finally, we would say to this new believer that is following the Lord in believer's baptism, and he has his desires to walk in the newness of life, we would tell him, be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. And then you would proceed to make another fisher of men. And in so doing, we're well on our way to fulfilling the Great Commission. Oh, we have a long way to go, but we are doing what God has commanded us to do. And that's the what it is that we are to do. But let's focus now then on the why is it that we do what we do. And so in the next 20 minutes, let's focus on the life of Nehemiah. If you would stand with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll read in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, and in verse 1. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of Nehemiah, the son of Achaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu and in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, and Hanani, one of my brethren, came he a certain, uh, uh, and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of captivity uh, concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left in captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem also are broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. 
And it came to pass that when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then from verse 5 through to 11, before he starts chapter 2, he's on his face before the Lord praying. Let's just look at verse 11. It says, O Lord, I beseech thee, now let thine ear be attentive unto the prayer of thy servant and unto the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of, uh, of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for uh, this time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you might bless richly the people of Victory Baptist Church here in Casa Grande. Lord, that you would speak to their soul concerning what is paramount to you, and that is reaching every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, and even across the street, and yes, in the uttermost parts of this world. I pray, Lord, that you would use me just to communicate uh, this uh, a true event of Nehemiah, and Lord, we would be richer and, and, and better for it. In Christ's name, we ask. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So we see that there was a drastic change that had taken place before he's the, he's the cut, at the moment he's a cupbearer and he's doing just fine. In fact, I would say that as a slave, he's living pretty high on the hog if he's like best friends with the king, right? I mean, he's in the palace and he just has a real cushy job and then he gets report of his people. Gets report that they're, uh, they're afflicted and they're of great reproach and it breaks his heart. And it changes everything about the day-to-day -day of Nehemiah. The Bible says that he was on his face and he wept and he mourned and he prayed to the Lord. What does it say? And it came to pass and he heard these words and I sat down and I wept and I mourned in certain days and fasted and prayed before the Lord. And so he was changed at that moment. He, his people are being harassed and distressed and vilified and there was a change that took place within his heart. And it moved from, from, uh, from that being the information received to a burden uh, within his heart. Let me submit to you this morning that we too have all been changed. Not that we have time. But if we were to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It talks about being a new creature. Old things are passed away. Later on in that verse, somewhere around 2021, it talks about uh, now our title that has been given to us, an ambassador for Christ. It talks about a job description that has been given to us, given us the ministry of reconciliation. And up to this point, if you, know, if you haven't thought that you were in ministry, well, I'm just honored to spring it upon you this morning. You are a minister. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and, 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 and simply put, our ministry has turned those that are enemies of God into friends of God. It's simply to uh, 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 share the gospel and, and, and be that uh, bright spot in, in someone's life to where they would yearn to see the difference. What it is, that, is it that you have in the same circumstance that I am, and why is it that you're so much different? And then you, just for an example, be, you're able to minister to that person through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and see somebody turn from an enemy to God into a friend of God. See somebody that once was blind and now they can see. See somebody that was sick spiritually and now they're healed. Praise the Lord. And so we've been given the, the title of an ambassador. And we've been given the job as an, uh, uh, the ministry of reconciliation. 
And that job description is those that would turn the enemies of God into the friends of God. Folks, we've been changed as well. We're not who we used to be. If you're saved this morning, you are not who you used to be uh, on the road to hell. But no, you've been given a blessed hope that one day you would have a home in heaven, praise the Lord. And you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and that would change us more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all he asks us to do is to share that experience with others here in your local area and around the world through our prayer and through our missions uh, giving. So this is the third journey. And, and, and here comes Nehemiah 10 years after Ezra and attempts to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He goes with God's permission and the king's provision. And, and, and Nehemiah is, is, is there uh, petitioning God first off that he would be used to do something. And then in verse 2 we come and it says, the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that the wine was before him, and I took up the wine and I gave it unto the king. And now I, I, not, I had not been before sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is this countenance? Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And I was very sore afraid. You, you, you always, when you're protecting the king's life, must have a good attitude and a countenance of peace, and everything is okay. And now the king is getting a little bit concerned. He's getting a little paranoid because he's not reading well what's going on on the face of his protector. And Nehemiah says, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. There's nothing wrong between you and I. Everything is great. Why should not my countenance be sad? He goes on to say, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth in waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And so now the king understands, and he says this, the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? And so I prayed to God. That's a key right there. So the, so the king understands what's going on in the heart of Nehemiah, and the king is tender towards that, and he says, so what, do, what would you ask uh, of me? And the first thing he does, instead of being self-centered, instead of being in control of everything, instead of having, uh, having a, a, a clear picture of exactly what he needs to do, he first uh, prays to the one. Uh, that knows it all. He first prays to the one that can give it all. He first prays to the one uh, that can turn the heart of that king. And he prays, and I'm wondering if he's praying that prayer uh, like we see in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1, that the Lord, please, uh, I know that the heart of this king is in your hand and like the rivers of water, you can turn it whithersoever you will, Lord. Please turn the heart of this king uh, towards my favor and the favor of those Jews there in Jerusalem that are afflicted and that are of reproach. And so we see four things that happen later on uh, just after this discourse. The king Artaxerxes agrees to this. He agrees to allowing his friend and protection to leave for 12 years. He, 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 he changes his political policy of the Jewish slaves. He makes, known, he makes known to the other authorities in his land that he is on the side of the Jewish people. And not only that, he supplies the resources needed to build. And so we see within the, uh, this passage in chapter 2, the king asks, how long are you going to be gone? 
and, and, and he, he tells him, we see this in chapter, chapter 4, somewhere around there, that he tells him 12 years he's going to be gone, and, and then he later asks for a couple more things. You know, while you're on the road, you just keep on going, you know? I mean, you learn that as a missionary. I mean, you, you find favor in the sight of some, and you just uh, uh, see uh, how much of a blessing do they really want to be, you know? And so he continues to ask, and he says, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me, in verse 7, chapter 2, to the governors beyond the rivers, that they may convey me over to come into Judah. And I see this as a passport. I see everything through the lens of a missionary. And so I see, he give me a passport that I might enter, enter into this other country and, been, and be given a rite of passage. And now he asks for resources. And so he's, he, 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 he's petitioning for his visa, his, his passport. And then he says, In a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace uh, which appertained to the house and for the walls of the city. And so he's needing material. And so he's, he's needing support. And he's needing a passport. Amen? And so he goes on to... Uh, uh, making this journey with a blessing uh, of the king. So he's going with the commission of God and the permission of the king. He has these two letters, and he's ready to go. He's, he, he, he's, it's been placed upon his heart. God has given him the desires of his heart. And when we see that in Psalm uh, chapter 37, where it says trust and delight and commit, you know the, that... that um, relationship we have when he says trust in the Lord and delight in the Lord and commit to the Lord then conditionally he uh, performs his his part that he promises you know delight me uh, he says trust in the Lord and do good and I shall dwell in the land verily you shall be fed delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart I believe when he gives us the desires of our heart it's not los caprichos it's not the the uh, whimsical things it's that God puts in our heart what he desires, and so that which we desire after we delight in the Lord as Nehemiah is doing first off, that which, which we desire is the same thing that God desires, and so we go in unison, and I believe that would speak to the power of Christ as well as we would go and do this. So quickly, he goes on his journey, and it's about 800 miles, and he's been pr provided with passport, he's been provided with supply, even more than that, he, the king sends, King Artaxerxes sends him with uh, cap, uh, captains of, of armies and horsemen. And he arrives there, but he arrives to opposition. I can tell you when you grab onto the why of your great commission and you personalize it, and I'm going to give because it's a command, or I'm going to give because of the lost and dying of the world, and whatever it is, maybe it's the passion of your heart, maybe it's the commission given to us. Know this, that there's going to be opposition. If you read further on in the book of Nehemiah, there's absolute opposition that comes, and it doesn't stop. It continues to get intense. At first, it's from this angle, and then it comes from the north, and then it comes from the west, the east, and he's surrounded at the end. But what do we see? We see the provision of God as he would uh, uh, battle for what is upon his heart to rebuild the city, to motivate his people. And we see within the book of Nehemiah, if you've read through it, you know that he's building with, with a trowel in this hand and with a sword in the other hand. And we're able to do that, amen, if, if God calls us to do something and to resist the devil and it'll flee from you and to proclaim the promises of God that are within your life and yet still be productive and work and 
battle and work and battle. And we see that in the life of Nehemiah. So quickly, he made his journey. And when he got there, he, he observed what needed to be done. He oriented himself around how he needed to do what he had to do. And when he observed, he observed a couple things. And I like how he described the, the area, Jerusalem and the wall and the gates. He said they're broken and burned and destroyed. And let me tell you something, church. Don't we know people like that in our life today that are in our surroundings? Those that are, that are just broken and those that are burnt out and those that are destroying their lives with sex and drugs and worldly things. And it's the as same as uh, Nehemiah would desire to rebuild the city and rebuild the wall and replace the gates and rebuild the gates that are there. Let me tell you something. As we uh, have this precious word of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ commanded to go into all the world to share it, I just want to make it personal this morning and ask you, what gates are you opening for those that are broken, those that are burnt out, those that are destroying their life? Let me tell you, we all have many options and many names upon the gates that we can open to others. Perhaps it's the gate of salvation we can open to some. Others need the gate of love. They just need the story that God loves them. Others, they're living without peace. And you have the answer within your hand. You have the Spirit of God within you. And you can open that gate of peace. You can open a gate of compassion. You can open a gate of service. Perhaps some need to, to open the gate of the judgment one day is to come. Not everybody needs the story of love. Some are so arrogant and self-sufficient that they need the story of God's judgment one day if they don't get things right. Amen. And so we have that same ability. And but first we understand, need to understand that we've been changed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God has asked us to have one mind and one spirit walking in the unity for the good of the gospel around the world, even across the street. How's your journey going? I think we great, gain great uh, enthusiasm, gain great motivation from the person of Nehemiah. Seeing that he was changed, first he submitted to God and said, if it would be your will, and he went on his journey. And when he got there, he oriented himself. He observed what was going on, and then he got to work. And then he got to work. My time is out, and so allow me to, to end with this. Remember those gates. Remember those gates. Maybe that's your why. Maybe because you understand that you have gates in your hand that you can open up to others. And that you have the ability to give to missionaries around the world. Though you couldn't put your hand on the gate in Spain, you certainly are oiling the hinges of our gates and they're swinging freely. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you. Let me end with, with this story. And it was an event that is oh so familiar in 1912. There was a lot of notable people on the Titanic that night. But the most notable passenger on the Titanic was someone most in the world have never heard of. He goes by the name of John Harper and he was a plain old ordinary pastor from Glasgow, Scotland. And he had faithfully shepherded his congregation for years and he had just accepted the position at Moody Church in Chicago. This is why he and his daughter were on the Titanic. And it is told that night that the Titanic sunk that John Harper put his daughter into a lifeboat, and then he started helping others to safety. He had given his life helping people 
find salvation. And that night was no different. That night, 1,528 people went into the frigid waters and John Harper clung on to the piece of wreckage and was frantically calling out to people in the water, leading them to Jesus before they had gotten hypothermia and died. Mr. Harper floated near one young man and he, who had climbed onto a piece of debris and he asked between breaths, he said, young man, are you saved? And the young man said, no, I'm not. And then Harper cried out. He said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And a wave swept him away and the young man was alone. And amazingly, a few minutes later, the wave brought John Harper back. And he called out to this young man again. He says, young man, are you saved yet? And the young man answered. He says, no, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he cried out again. He said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Moments later, John Harper died of hypothermia. And he went under, and the young man was alone in the water with no hope of being rescued. And he believed and gave his life to Christ. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, six were rescued by lifeboat number 14. One of them was this young man that clung to the debris. And years later, he gave his testimony of that night. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I am John Harper's last convert. The servant of God did what he had to do while others were, other people were, were trying to buy their way on the lifeboat and selfishly saving their own lives. John Harper gave up his life so that others could be saved. He did it because he understood that life was not the end, but only the beginning, this life. And he knew what awaited him. Only God knows the impact that you and I will have by opening up the gates of the gospel to those that are around us in our sphere of influence and around the world through our prayer and around the world through our giving. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to pray for you this morning, then I'll turn it over to you, Pastor. I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for you, and then I'm going to pray a prayer of uncertainty because I cannot see within your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in who you are in our lives. For the love that you had for humanity, that you would send your own son to the cross, to die on that cross, so that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. And Lord, thank you for saving the souls of the saved here this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this local congregation and their participation in the ministry with, with us in Spain. And Lord, I pray that you would burn in their hearts the rewards that, is, that are abounding to their account, not only in Spain, but all around the world as they would give. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their taking serious the great commission that you have given. And Lord, now I don't know the conditions the hearts of individuals this morning. There are perhaps some here that have not a relationship with you. They've never called upon Christ to save them. Father, I pray that you might reach down within their soul and save it today. God, perhaps you're here. There are some here that are struggling with the idea of giving to missions. I pray that you would clearly minister to them. And Lord, that they would depend upon leadership of church to train them up, to show them biblically why they do what they do. Father, what a privilege it is 
to be part of your mission program all around the world. Father, there might be some here that are just broken and they just need encouragement. I pray that you would do that work as well. Lord, I don't know what's going on in hearts, but you know exactly what's going on in the heart in every person here. God, I pray that the Spirit of God would minister to each one, allowing them to open their hearts and allow you to come in and do what only you can do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.